Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Happy Sunday, everyone. We're finishing up our work using Malcolm Gladwell's book, Blink, and for this month we've been talking about the idea of divine intuition, our ability if you will, to just size up a a moment on the fly and actually get really good information from it. That that inward vision, that inward sense, some people call it a gut feeling or a a vibe of certain things. Uh, So really this month we've been honoring that. We've been talking about how we can put that to good use and also, incidentally, a few of the pitfalls, some of the ways that our intuition actually can give us faulty information. Well, today I'm going to continue in that vein, and I want to start with the idea of context. And uh, actually, maybe the best place to start is is a bit of a story. So in 1980, Abby Conant, a trombone player, uh, well-known here in the United States, 1980, was touring Europe, and she had the idea that she would like to join a symphony in Europe, just to, just to have that experience, just to be able to explore Europe while she was still working. And uh, it was the right time of year to apply for fall auditions. A number of the uh, orchestras throughout Europe were, were uh, ha- having auditions, and so she sent out letters, and she only got one even response. 1980, she was a woman trombone player, the maestros in Europe didn't think women would be playing horned instruments. They didn't even bother to send her a letter to say, well, no, we're, well, I don't know. I guess they would have been lying anyway, so maybe it was better they didn't send the letter. But she did get one letter back from the, um, the Philharmonic in, uh, in Berlin, and so she got ready to apply for it. And of course, her being American, and the letter coming in German, she failed to notice that it was addressed to Herr Komrat. They thought she was a man. Probably the only reason she got to do the audition. So she got there and, uh, oh, the story just gets better though. It really does. So she got there and the orchestra leader, his nephew, was also auditioning. Well, now, they maybe have been a good old boys network, but they weren't into nepotism. And so they had this harebrained idea that they would have everyone do their interviews behind a screen so that the orchestra leader would not be able to favor his nephew. Well, now, i got to tell you, first of all, for those of you in the know, he would have been able to tell his nephew from the way he played So this was not a very foolproof thing, and actually they were going through the motions because he was assuming he was going to hire his nephew and that he could pick out his nephew. Uh, Okay, so anyway, the interviews came, and when Abby came out to play, just a hush in the audience, she was the best player they had ever heard. Now talk about being able to tell something in an instant too. For those of you who are really in the know, you can pick out a phenomenal musician in just a few bars. You really can. I mean, ask our own musicians here. You know, you can, someone who is really good will floor you 
just almost immediately. And although the orchestra leader knew that it was not his nephew, this was like the finest player he had ever heard. And so right away, this is the one. And he announced, this is the right one. You know, raise the screen. We want to congratulate this young man. And so the, <laughs> so the screen went up. <laughs> and, you know, you could have heard a pin drop from 100 miles around because, of course, a woman, especially a woman who looks like Abby at five feet tall playing a trombone, Many people would not have imagined she could do it, let alone that she was phenomenal. So guess how much of our actual intelligence around discrimination and making choices is based on our eyesight versus our other five senses? Get ready. It's a surprising number. 80% of our decisions are made on visual information. Only 20% is based on what we hear, what we taste, what we touch. And we apply our visual intelligence to the way our food tastes, to the way our music sounds. Oh yeah, big time, big time. Now what do we do with this? In the book, Gladwell recommends, first of all, knowing that our intuition is actually good, but we need to learn in many cases how to apply it properly. Otherwise, we're going to have these levels of crazy biases going on. And it isn't, I mean, you know, speaking as a white guy, it isn't that on purpose we go out in the world every morning to exercise our white privilege, right? It's from the earliest age, it's, it, it's like who we are. And so we, and, the, and of course I'm talking about me as a white guy, we all have these beliefs around other people that are fed to us through the media, through advertising, through our parents, and, and unfortunately when they're planted at a young age or when they're built up over time, like only men can play in certain sections of an orchestra, it's not that we're on purpose saying that, you know, a trombone player should be a guy, right? We might even think we're really open-minded to that. We may even really think no prejudices here. I'm, you know, I'm a totally on board with new things. But the trick of it is our subconscious is engaged in our decision-making. And that's the snap judgment piece. That's our intuition and we need to learn to apply our intuition in positive ways if we want to get good, positive results on it. And so, believe it or not, almost virtually all orchestra auditions now use the screen. This was like the tipping place. This was like the total tipping place. When that was discovered, the word got out. Almost all auditions in an orchestra now are, are, are behind a scrim so that you're just listening to the person play. And guess what? Orchestras from the 1980s were over 90% men in, in all of the instruments. Today, almost 50-50. Just because of that one thing. And, and again, the decisions are made like that. 
And, and I think this is what is so interesting. The decisions can be made just like that. You really do that, know that phenomenal player, just like that. But you knew just like that when your eyes were involved, too short. A woman will never be able to sustain those notes. Their lungs are just too small, right? Okay. Now, how might we apply this to more everyday things? Now, I don't often get to uh, audition trombone players. <laughs> so how might we reuse this in our everyday thing? How many times, though, do we make our decisions again just based on our eyes when it doesn't really apply? Take Procter Gamble, for example. They recently went through and repackaged most of their materials. And uh, they're pretty bold about stating that they're using a Tiffany scheme. So if you've ever had the option of uh, shopping at Tiffany's in New York, um, their, their theme is kind of like a pale blue and silver, and they do this kind of cool brown and uh, light blue color. Very elegant, very impressive looking. Get ready for your oatmeal to come that way. <laughs> and the reason they're... No, really. <laughs> Check it out. <laughs> the reason they're doing that is that people will pay twice as much for the same products if they are marketed visually to us to say it's something special. So it's not just Quaker Oats that we're used to and we know and love. If it looks like it came from some special store, we visually key into that and we think it's special. We think it's worth more, even though the inside is exactly the same. And I gotta tell you, this isn't really new. I mean, Procter & Gamble uh, just announced they're revamping their line, so, so that's new. But oh my gosh, they've been doing, in fact, for those of you that shop at Safeway, have you noticed the Safeway Select brand? The brand they're trying to get you featured, and it's that kind of seductive brown chocolate color on most things? They sort of know we like chocolate, big surprise. And so, you know, your box of salt comes in a nice chocolate colored thing because they know what's attractive to us. So, Gladwell says the way we get around this, which is really important, is we need to use our snap judgment, but in the area in which it counts. So, if it's something that it's the taste we're interested in, like our oatmeal, we should be able to make our decision based on how it tastes or the, the health factor of it, right? Not on the packaging. So we want to actually evaluate how it tastes, the nutritional value and things like that, make our decision. Let me use a, another example. So maybe you're out shopping for some kind of an appliance, whether it's a toaster or a dishwasher or whatever. We're again focused in, 80% of our information is coming through our eyes. Does it really matter how the toaster looks though? It's like I want my, brown to, my bread to be brown, right? I want it to be at the level of toastiness <laughs> that I like, right? And the dishwasher. Uh, now a dishwasher, one could argue, well it does need to kind of blend in maybe with the cabinets, but what's the important thing? The dishes ought to be pretty clean, right? So how, well no, this is actually, I know you're laughing at me and it's okay, but what actually is important here is when we're buying something, perhaps it's just as important what the return policies are. 
Because the only way you can check these things out are in your own home under the circumstances that you're going to be using it. And when you toast that bread for the first time, don't you know instantly, right? Now here's where our intuition is useful. It's not so useful in the store. In the store, our intuition would say, this one's shinier. <laughs> but at home, <laughs> but at home, it, the bread's done right. In, you know, instinctively, you know, you almost don't even need to crunch into it, right? It's your favorite bread. It pops up. It's the right color. You're good. You know in an instant. The same with the dishwasher. You don't really need to read over the 95 different features and things like that. You put your dishes in at the level of cleanliness or not cleanliness, right? Some of us are scrapers and some of us are not scrapers, I know. You put it in and you know this is the one. They're clean the way I use it. This is where our first impressions are perfect when we're leveling them at the subject matter area that really makes a difference. When we judge our dishwasher on the display at Costco, not so much. When we judge our uh, ability to get things done based on the wrong set of criteria, that's where we get in trouble. Okay, the next thing I want to talk about, um, I need to tell um, a joke uh, to get us started on it. And uh, first of all, I need to know, do we have any economists, logicians, or mathematicians in the room today? Logicians, economists, or mathematicians, anybody? Oh dear, well then the joke's really going to be bad. <laughs> oh well. All right, here goes anyway. So there are three men on a train. One of them is an economist, one of them's a logician, and one of them's a mathematician. And they just cross the border into Scotland and they see a brown cow standing in a field from the window of the train. The economist looks out the window and says, look, the cows in Scotland are brown. The logician corrects him, no, no. There are cows in Scotland of which at least one is brown. And the mathematician says, no, 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 no. There's at least one cow in Scotland of which one side appears to be brown at this time. Yeah, I know. It really is funnier if you're one of those three people. But, uh, <laughs> but the important part of here uh, actually is important. The idea of something being true at this time. The mathematician actually has a valid point here, although cows probably don't change their colors too often. Our first impressions are not necessarily meant to be long-lasting. Who here has been to like a high school reunion in a while? Any like 20th or 30th or even 10th high school reunions? Now tell me if this isn't right. Didn't you approach people to find out if they were like they were in high school? Is she still that bubbly teen, you know, cheerleader kind of person? Is he still that dour guy that always had his nose in the book? Is he still the bully? Is she, right? Didn't we, wasn't that there? That's because what tends to happen is when we have an association about a person, place, or thing, we freeze it in amber, never to change our opinion. This goes contrary to our power of intuition. 
if we actually listened to our power of intuition, it would say that every day we have a chance at a new first impression. That every day the information that would be useful to us for making a decision about people, about things, about situations, about purchases, is there and we almost always ignore it in favor of something that happened before. It's as though that first impression about a product, about a company, about um, people we care about, it's as though that is, they get one shot. This is a great error on our part. The intelligence is still there for us. We can always size up a new impression. Always that ability to have a, an instant first impression, even, even though I've known Nancy now for, gosh, close to 20 years, I think, 15 anyway, it, it's like she could be different now than when I first met her. I know I'm different than when we first met. And when we go by something uh, that happened long ago, whether it's the way something tasted, uh, the way a, a, a brand presented itself, the reliability of automobiles, doesn't matter. We should always be open to a new perspective. We should always be allowing our intuition to tell us, wait a minute, wait a minute, you know I used to hate this, but something, something about it right now strikes me like I ought to give it another chance. Something about it, if you really allow your intuition to engage, something will tell you that there's something different here and you can approach it differently. All right, last thing I want to talk about that's a little bit new here today uh, will get us into uh, the idea of how complicated a decision or a situation is. And I'm going to use uh, one of the examples out of the book where they, they did some testing around car makes and models. So, so they got a bunch of students together. It was like a scientific study. And they said, well, what we're going to do, imagine that you're buying a car for someone that can't go to a car lot. And here are the five pieces of criteria. So there was a price range that the person was willing to pay for a car. There was the color that the person wanted the car to be. And there were, I think, two or three other real simple characteristics, um, like whether it had four doors, how much cargo space. I can't remember. Very simple, basically. And so that's the criteria that they were going to buy this car for someone. And then they were simply given four uh, invoices for cars. And one of the cars, only one of the cars, met all five of the criteria. And so they gave each one of the students, uh, they, uh, they gave them two tests, well, they I should say they took half of the students and they did the test one way, and half of the students did a test the other way. The first group, they gave them two minutes. You got two minutes to read through the invoices and figure out which of the cars, if any, meets the criteria. And they did, of course, really well, right? In two minutes, you can read through looking for those criteria r really fast and no problem. They got close to 90, you know, out of however how many hundred of students. They almost all got it right. Okay, the second group, given the same uh, four, were given an infinite amount of time. Take as long as you want. Just tell us when you're done. They did slightly worse. Now think about that. Isn't that interesting? They, they also did really well but they did slightly worse. It was almost as though reading through all of the data, they had more time, right? 
So they weren't just looking for, is it red, is it over $30,000, right? They actually, oh, it has four-wheel drive and, and special rims and things that I don't even know what it probably means. And, and so actually giving them a little more time, as much time as they wanted, made them be not quite as good. Okay, test number two. They had the same criteria. They had the same four sheets for the, the cars. And then they added in another four sheets from cars. There was still only one car that met the criteria. The criteria was the same, but now there were eight cars with their whole set of sticker information. The people who had two minutes did almost as well as they did when they only had four cars. The people who had eight cars their results plummeted to only close to 50%, even with unlimited time. It was like the more variables, at some point their brains just shut down. And their intuition, doing it very quickly, their intuition was significantly better than taking all the time in the world and analyzing it. Now, how might we apply this in our own lives? Again, this is a scientific study showing that our intuition on very complex issues, our intuition is better than our ability to logically puzzle our way through it. Now, doesn't that seem like the opposite of what you might imagine? One would think, I've got a really complicated issue here. You know, should I go back to school? And if so, how much would it cost? Or some, you know, something really big, and you've got the list out of uh, pros, and you've got the list of cons, and you've got the list of features, and you have the list of options and expenses. You have the timeline over here, and, and what term should I start? And if I start with this class, then these books cost this much, right? You get the idea something complicated? You will drive yourself completely nuts and you will probably make the wrong decision. In a case like that, what does your instinct tell you you ought to do? And you will almost in every case be happier. So the more complicated something is, I know this sounds the opposite of what some of you maybe have been told in the past, right? Research it out, do your due diligence. The more complicated it is, just get more paper and pencil and puzzle it out. Maybe a spreadsheet, maybe a spreadsheet would help for God's sakes. The truth is, the more complicated it is, you're more apt to get a better answer if you go with your instinct of what seems right. All right, well, we're running out of time. I'm going to do this super quick survey of everything we've learned this month because uh, some of these things are, are really worth thinking about. One is that, in general, our decision-making process can happen in an instant, and that is okay. For most of us, our instincts, our intuition, whatever you want to call it, is more useful than not. We have that capability on that subconscious level of processing an amazing amount of information in just a few glimpses, a few listens, a few tastes. We can do this. So first off, trust your intuition. It has actually scientifically been proven to be good. There are only a few places where it will let you down. 
One is when your head has been filled with stuff that isn't your own direct experience. So when the media is filling you information, when Procter & Gamble is feeding you information, when advertising, when your family is giving you information that isn't your own experience of the world, you're apt to have your intuition lead you down their path. It's really their intuition. And so be careful of that. That's where prejudice comes from. That's where making bad decisions and snap judgments around uh, spontaneous purchases come from. You're really not using your intuition. You're just recalling things that you've been told. The other place that we talked about two weeks ago, the Warren Harding effect, we go for what's shiny and what's pretty. So be careful. If what you want is shiny and pretty, then your intuition is spot on, right? I have the shiniest darn toaster, you ought to see it. But is that really why I would want to buy a toaster? So again, to avoid the Warren Harding effect, we need to use our intuition in a way that will actually zero in on what we want. If it's the toast to be a certain way, let's use our intuition with a slice of bread, even if we have to take it down to Target with us and ask to plug the darn thing in, right? Or we find out what their return policy is. Yeah, as long as it's within 30 days, you can return it. We'll take it home, we'll, we'll try the toaster oven, right? So that's how we get over that one. And then the last uh, faulty area that we can get in trouble with is, uh, is really overemphasizing the visual. And that was what we learned today, is that so often we try to get our decisions based on visual information when that's probably not that helpful. So, so does it matter how something looks or is it the sound, is it the taste, is it the touch? Are you overreacting just to how Procter & Gamble now has the oatmeal coming from Tiffany's um, instead of uh, from the farm? You know, let's make sure we're engaging the proper senses for what we want to get out of things. All right, so I do have a, a bit of homework for you. This is tricky because a lot of times we make our snap judgments and move on without even really being aware that we've done something, right? We just think what we think and then we move on. But my suggestion would be, next time you need to make a decision, especially a complicated decision, I would ask you to make note of your initial reaction. Because if it is a complicated situation, your initial take on things, you should listen to it more than you probably do. So if you're going to buy a new house, if you're going to buy a new car, if you're sending kids off to college and you've got to help them pick, any of those things that are sort of complicated, all the studies show you will probably be happier with that first impression. That spending weeks of analysis, that, uh, I mean, and I'm not to say, not to say that there aren't certain criteria, right? Uh, back to the, the car situation again, where there were four invoices. It did have to match up with those main four. It had to be within the price range. It had to be the color um, that the person wanted, right? So I'm not saying ignore what you want. But what I am saying is you don't need to go beyond that. You can just size it up and say, yeah, that's the one I want. That's the choice I would make. He's perfect for that. 
Okay, so that's your homework. Next time you have a difficult decision, see if you're overanalyzing. Make sure you take into account that gut reaction, that inspiration that's coming from the divine. All right, I'm going to read you one more story out of this book in closing and a prayer. And we have another orchestra study. So, uh, so this was long after uh, the, the screen was involved. And this one's here in America, in Boston. And, uh, and uh, Julie Landsman auditioned for the role of Principal French, French Horn. So the, the curtain's down. Again, even though they've been doing that for some time, not very many women in the brass section at all. Uh, no experience with women with French horns. Let me read you this story because it has a bit of a twist at the end. When Julie Landsman auditioned for the role of Principal French Horn, the screens had gone up in the practice hall. At the time, there were no women in the brass section of the orchestra whatsoever, whatsoever because everyone knew that women could not play the horn as well as men. She auditioned. She was the winner. When they declared her the winner and she stepped out from, from behind the screen, there was a gasp. But it wasn't because she was a woman and female horn players were rare. And it wasn't just that her bold extended high C was the kind of macho sound they expected only that a man's lung power could deliver. It was because they knew her. She'd been in the orchestra for years. They weren't listening with their ears at her. They were listening with their eyes to her playing. A small miracle happened that day, the kind of small miracle that is always possible when we take charge of the first two seconds of a first impression. They saw her, they heard her for who she truly was. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, and one goodness. And what I know about God, it is that inspiration in all things available to us right in our, in our hearts and in our minds is that ability to know what is true and good for us in an instant. It is that gift from God. It is that intuition. It is that second sight. It is that purity of knowing what I know when I know. And I give great thanks for this. I recognize it in my own heart. I know it's for me. I know it's true for anyone here in this room that pays attention to their, their inner life. That the awareness, the wisdom, the, the input from God, from our higher power, is available to us. And as we learn to use it, as we become perhaps a little more discriminating in how it works and understanding when it's to be trusted and when maybe not so much, we become phenomenal in our lives. Able to understand the truth of our being and the people who approach us with, with ever greater clarity, ever greater wisdom. Approaching perhaps from that place of love instead of the visual stimulation that is so predominant to us. And for this, I give great thanks. I give great thanks for the power and the presence of God and the people in this room just for this grand life. I let it be. And together we say... And so it is. So thank you for being here. So glad you were here today. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. 
We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.